we are starting this amazing chapter that's literally a bomb. And that's not the right word, but there's so much in this tiny little chapter that we're going to finish today, Bezrat Hashem. Wow. And it really, it's a corollary of what we learned last chapter. Last chapter, we were talking about how we have this natural human response that someone loves us, we love them back. That's just the way our heart works. Someone loves us, we love them back. Well, we were going to use that to remember our love for Hashem. We were going to say, well, Hashem really loves you. Look at that. He's the greatest of the great. He came down to the lowest of the low. He extricated us from that space. He brought us super close to him. Will our heart not melt in response? That was the exodus from Egypt. The exodus from Egypt was Hashem himself. He didn't send any messenger. He himself came down to the lowest place on planet Earth, and he extracted us from there. He brought us so close. He united with us in giving us the Torah. This chapter comes to answer a question that we may have. You could say, yeah, it's true. Hashem did that for our ancestors many, many years ago. How is that going to work for me in modern times to say, wow, Hashem loves me. He came to Egypt. He took me out. I can't help but love him back. Actually, the Alter Rebbe in this chapter tells us this isn't just something that happened to our ancestors years and years ago. This is something that happens to us each and every day. Every single day, Hashem, the greatest of the great, comes down to us, lowly human beings, in the most depraved spiritual space wherever we are, and He extracts us from there. And He unites with us, and we literally become one with Him. And that's going to set our heart on fire. Because yes, it's true that if somebody did a favor for you years ago, you'll feel grateful to them. But that may wear off. You know, there's a story of the Hassam Cypher where he once did a tremendous favor for somebody. And the person was so indebted. He said, Rabbi, what can I ever do to pay you back? And he said, listen, one day when you get mad at me, instead of coming after me with big stones, remember to throw small rocks. <laughs> you know, people forget what you did for them. So this was years ago, thousands of years ago. Hashem did this for our ancestors. And yes, we were there and our souls were there, but this was so long ago. But actually, this is something that happens to us each and every day. So here we go, chapter 47. Chapter, chapter 46 began with the Alter Rebbe explaining yet another simple and straightforward means by which every Jew can arrive at a great love of Hashem, thereby enhancing his performance of Torah and Mitzvahs. This is done by utilizing the love which comes into being as water mirrors the face to the face. For just as water reflects the image of a face peering into it, so too is there reflected the heart of man to man. The Alter went on to explain that all the particulars mentioned in the parable of the mighty king and the wretched commoner as enumerated there are infinitely more applicable with regard to the love showered by Hashem upon each and every Jew. He showed us his great love when he himself descended to take us out of the nethermost level in Egypt and led us into his innermost chambers by giving us the Torah and mitzvot, whereby we are able to attach ourselves to him with the ultimate level of unity. Accordingly, the Altar then expounded the word Kiddushanu in the text of the benedictions as implying betrothal, the perfect union of man and wife. Kiddushanu also implies supernal holiness, which alludes to the supreme state of exalted separation which Jews attain through the performance of mitzvot, recalling Hashem's holiness, his total exalted separation from all worlds. Chapter 47 will continue this theme and answer the following question as the Rebbe notes. How can the love reflected as water mirrors face to the face be expected of us nowadays when Hashem's love was shown us thousands of years ago at the time of the Exodus? 
The answer given by the Alter Rebbe is, not only is it reasonable to expect this love of a Jew when he recalls the initial exodus, when Hashem descended, thus showing his great love for us, but also, in truth, this is a present-day event as well. For the exodus is a daily occurrence. Every single day, we leave Egypt. Listen to this. In every generation and every day, a person is obligated to regard himself as if he had that day come out of Egypt. This text is cited from the Mishnah and Pesachim, except that the Alter Rebbe inserts the phrases and every day and that day, for the Exodus is not only an event which takes place in every generation, it is also a daily event in the spiritual life of the Jew. So the Mishnah says every single person has to think, see themselves as though they left Egypt. But also we have a mitzvah every single day to recall the exodus, a daily mitzvah. This is something that we relive every day. And the altar is going to specify how are we released from exile every single day? Can I just say something? Yeah. I always struggle with this because Hashem put us in that position. I know. <laughs> we all struggle with that. And yeah, you put us here. I mean, obviously, that really is answered in chapter 36 in Tanya, where the altar describes what was the purpose in creating the world. Why, why did you do that? And he, we don't understand his desire. That's one thing. This Hasidim asked the altar Rebbe, like, why did Hashem have that desire? And he said, we don't ask a question about a desire. <laughs> you want something, you can say what you want. Why you want it, you can't explain it. It's just something that you can't explain. We definitely cannot explain Hashem's desire, which is outside the realm of creation. So why did he put us in Egypt? We don't know. But what we do know is that he wanted us to be in a limited consciousness and then come out and recognize him. And that would fulfill the purpose of creation. So let's describe the daily exodus. This refers to the release of the divine soul from the confinement of the body, the serpent's skin. The body is a source of confinement for the divine soul since it derives its light force from klipa. It is from this exile that the divine soul escapes. So ever since that tree, the sin of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we're clothed in this serpent's skin. We literally have the consciousness of the serpent. Having the consciousness of the serpent means we have a klipa consciousness. Klipa is a shell. Everything is just Hashem. And yet, we don't see it that way. We see everything as separate. We see as ourselves as having a separate existence. We see the world as having a separate existence. The world is something to deal with. The world is something that challenges us. No, that's not true. The world is just a facade. But we can't help but relate to it that way because we're in the serpent's, serpent's skin. We have a klipa consciousness. The Rambam, in his introduction to his commentary on Avos, famously known as Shemayna Pragim, talks about our limitations as physical beings in appreciating the spiritual. <laughs> he said a physical being is limited by their physical framework. And just like a blind man cannot appreciate color, physical, physical beings cannot truly appreciate the spiritual. We are so limited, limited because we take everything in through our body. And this is true even about a very holy person. The Alter Rebbe says in chapter 37 that even a tzaddik who reaches the highest levels of love, rapturous love for Hashem, you cannot compare the way he was before he came down into a body. So this is the condition of the world. World is olam, helam, concealment. That's what a world is. If we're here, 
it's concealed. We don't see the essence of things. So every single day, yes, we're in this terrible exile. Think of this holy soul that is literally part of Hashem that wants to unite with him and fuse with him, doesn't care about all the silliness, and it's stuck in this body. And every single day, the soul experiences an exodus. Every single day, the soul experiences a transcendence. It's able to leave the confines and the shackles of the spiritual, of the physical world, of the physical body, transcend all of that, and come to reach the truth where we know that there's nothing else besides Hashem. So let's talk about this escape from the exile. The kalal the yichud or ein saif baruchu al yedei esek hatayra v'hamitzvayz bichlal. In order to be absorbed into the unity of the light of the blessed Ein Sof by engaging in the Torah and commandments in general. So every single day, how do we leave Egypt? Well, we learned last chapter that every single time we study Torah, every single time we do a mitzvah, our soul is literally fused with Hashem. Just like Hashem is Elokei Avraham, He's Ani Hashem Elokeichem. I am Hashem, you are God. Every single time we study Torah, every time we do a mitzvah, our soul is literally fused with Hashem. That's Exodus. It's stuck in the framework of the physical body. It's limited to seeing things through that lens of constriction. But then there's Torah and there's mitzvahs. That is the opportunity to transcend all of that and literally fuse with Hashem. And that is our Exodus. And that happens every single day. We can't take the Torah for granted. Could you imagine, God forbid, a world without Torah? You can't imagine, right? The world is a concealment. Torah is that breakthrough of communication and connection between the creator and the creation. If God forbid there were no Torah, if there were no mitzvahs, we would be cut off. There would be utter darkness. But Hashem has given us this incredible point of contact where we can transcend all created worlds and literally fuse with Him. And this is true every single time we study Torah. And this is true every single time that we do a mitzvah. But the altar is going to point out that there is a special opportunity of the Exodus in a specific mitzvah. So that was Bichlal. But, Ubefrat bekabolas malchus shamayim bekriya shema. Sheba mekaba umam shechalav yichudei yisbarach befeira sheba amrei Hashem elekeinu Hashem echad. And in particular, through accepting the sovereignty of heaven during the recital of the Shema, wherein the person explicitly accepts and draws upon himself Hashem's unity when he says, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. So it's true that every time we study Torah and every time we do a mitzvah, we're fusing with Hashem. The problem is, we may not be connecting with that. We have to be able to be transparent to the experience that we're having. Well, here's the opportunity to be transparent to this total fusion. And that is accept it upon yourself. <coughs> Say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is, there's the mitzvah of believing in Hashem's unity. And it's from this verse. Hashem elokeinu Hashem achad. So this is our opportunity to accept Hashem's kingship upon us and say, I want this fusion. When we say, I want this fusion, it allows for us to be transparent to that fusion that we experience throughout the day whenever we study Torah and whenever we do a mitzvah. And the truth is that even someone who studies Torah and does a mitzvah, not just only with no proper intentions, but actually with bad intentions, God forbid, okay? Let's say someone wants to be really famous, so they study Torah, okay? So are they experiencing fusion with Hashem? 
And the truth is they are experiencing fusion with Hashem. However, the fusion that they're experiencing is very concealed. It's happening and it's very concealed. That's not the purpose. The purpose is that we should manifest the fusion that we experience. That we should be see-through to what is happening to us. So even someone who does the wrong thing, at that time, they really, really want to do the right thing. Actually, in Rambam nowadays, we're studying the laws of divorce. And the Rambam has an amazing halacha. What if a man is supposed to divorce his wife and he doesn't want to? There's a big problem because a divorce can only be given willingly. So the the court can force him to give the divorce, but it's not a valid divorce because he didn't want to. So what do they do? They beat him. They beat him until he says, I want to, I want to. And they say, okay. And he gives a divorce and that's considered he wanted to. Now that doesn't work if someone was beaten until they say, I want to sell my property. That's considered thievery. And you don't say, yes, they really wanted to. No, they were forced to say, I want to. But when it comes to the divorce, as soon as he says, I want to, it's considered a valid get. And he is considered that he really wanted to. And the Ramam explains why. He says, With regard to this person who outwardly refuses to divorce his wife, he wants to be part of the Jewish people. He wants to keep all the mitzvahs. He wants to eschew all the transgressions. It's only that his evil inclination presses him. Therefore, when he is beaten until his evil inclination is weakened and he consents to the divorce, he is considered to have performed the divorce willfully. Isn't that wild? This is saying this is the nature of a Jew. I don't care how wicked they are. I don't care how evil he is. He always wants to be one with Hashem. Oh, it's just his inclination that presses him. So even someone who's doing a mitzvah for the wrong reason, they're experiencing fusion. And in fact, the Chachamim say, a person should always study Torah and do mitzvahs, even not for their own sake, because out of doing it not for their own sake, he's going to come to do it for truly for its own sake. But actually, on a mystical level, the way we read that is, the inside space of doing it not for its own sake is... Lishma, for its own sake. So it looks like he's doing it not for its own sake. But truly, truly, essentially, if you're going to peel all the layers, you'll come to see that a Jew wants to do it for its own sake. That's not enough, though. We haven't arrived if we're doing it that way. We want to yield. We want to yield and say, I want this fusion. I accept Hashem's oneness upon me. I want to channel that. I want to tell you an amazing story. So, you know, unfortunately, us Jewish people have gone through a tremendous amount of persecution. And there was a time that the Jewish people were being kicked out of one place and another in Poland. Poland at that time in the 1700s was much larger than it is today. In fact, two-thirds of world Jewry lived in that huge kingdom. And the Alter Rebbe went around collecting money to bribe government officials to allow the Jews to say Jews were homeless and poor. It was terrible. And when he came to the town of Tolshin, he met the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. He actually came to visit him to, to you know, show him honor. And he said, why are you here? And he said, I'm collecting money in order to bribe the officials to allow the Jews to stay. And he said, why are you doing that? Why are you collecting money instead of doing all these physical means? Instead, just teach them my grandfather's echad. 
So he said, listen, it's your grandfather's echad that got us into all this trouble. Now let's stop for a minute. Who's his grandfather? Let's remember, his grandfather is the Baal Shem Tov. What does it mean, his grandfather's echad? The Baal Shem Tov reminded us of the truth of what it means, Hashem Echad. That when we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lekeinu, Hashem Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We don't just mean that he's the only authority. We mean he's the only reality. There's nothing else besides Hashem. If we would only live that, then all these decrees are going to go, are going to go away. And the author of it said, let me tell you why it's the Baal Shem Tov's Echad that's getting us into all this trouble. Because when the Jews were expelled from, Port- from Spain and from Portugal in those terrible days, they were trying to bribe kings from lands across Europe to accept them. And even with the tremendous money that they were willing to give them, they wouldn't allow them to settle in their land. Now, why was that happening? The, the altar explained because this was a reflection of what was going on in the supernal realms. The angels of these countries didn't want the Jews to settle in their land because they said the Jews are going to set up a base medrash, they're going to set up a shul, they're going to start saying, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, they're going to flood our klipa with light, and we're going to disintegrate. We can't risk that. But the angel of Poland said, oh no, no, yeah, they're going to set up a base medrash, they're going to set up shuls, but when they say Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, they're not going to be talking about Hashem. They're going to be talking about themselves. And because they're so holy, their holiness is going to be misappropriated, and it's going to come to me. And that's going to give me more wealth and more honor and more fame. And I accept them in my land. But then your grandfather came along and he started to teach the meaning of Shema Yisrael, Hashem, looking at Hashem Echad. And all of a sudden, the angel of Poland got nervous and he said, no, no, no. I only agree to the old Echad. I don't agree to the new Echad. And that's why all these ministers are kicking Jews out of their lands. So we have to pile up money higher than the pile we originally gave the king of Poland to allow us to settle in that land. So this is what we're learning. Hashem Hashem is our God. We are accepting his oneness upon ourselves. Every single day, when we study Torah, when we do a mitzvah, we're literally leaving exile. We are experiencing the exodus. What's the exile? The exile is we are in a serpent's skin. We have a klipa consciousness. Our soul is trapped in the limited confines of the physical lens. We're so stuck, but we're also very liberated. The second we study Torah and the second we do a mitzvah, our soul transcends the physical and experiences total fusion with Hashem. And that's true no matter what Torah we study and no matter which mitzvah we perform. But there is a special mitzvah, and that's the mitzvah of Kriya Shema, of reading the Shema. When we say Shema, we say Hashem is our God. Hashem is one. We are accepting His unity upon ourselves. We are saying, I want this. When we, we, are, when we want this, we're transparent to the fusion that's happening, and we literally experience the exodus. It has been previously explained in chapter 46 that our God is understood in the same way as the God of Abraham and so forth because he became nullified and absorbed into the unity of the light of the blessed Ainsaif. Abraham's self-nullification and consequent union with Hashem were so complete that Hashem is called the God of Abraham 
through the performance of the mitzvahs, the same may be said of every Jew, so that Hashem may be rightfully be called our God. So why is God called the God of Abraham? He's called the God of Abraham, as Rabbi Stanzels puts it, because the man Abraham no longer existed. He didn't see himself as a being for himself. He yielded to the divine essence. He literally became a chariot for Hashem. And so therefore, God was called by his name, the God of Abraham. But guess what? Hashem is not just called the God of Abraham. He's called our God. Because every single time we study Torah and every single time we do a mitzvah, we literally become a chariot for the divine at that time. At that time, we're nullified and Hashem is called our God. There's a very big difference between us and Abraham. Abraham worked very hard for this, and Abraham was always the Merkava. There was nothing that he did that wasn't an expression of Hashem. He was sleeping, he was eating, he was doing business dealings, whatever he did, he was the, the Merkava. For us, it's whenever we study Torah and whenever we do a mitzvah. But just like God is the God of Abraham, he is our God. And as we're going to explore on a certain level, even in a higher way, is he our God? more than the God of Abraham. And it sounds wild to say that, but this is based on Kabbalah and the Midrash. So we're going to talk about it. One second. There's a story of the Rebbe. The college students had a yechidus with him, a private audience with him. And one of them was very blunt. And he said to the Rebbe, they say about you that you can perform miracles. Is that true? The Rebbe answered, every Jew possesses a soul, which is an actual part of Hashem. And just like Hashem, our Jew soul, the Jewish person's soul is not limited by the constraints of the natural order. The Torah is the medium which connects a Jew to his godly source. And when we attach ourselves to the Torah, then our godly potential is revealed and we are not bound by the natural order. So we're thinking of the tzaddikim and all the miracles they perform. You know why? Because they express their godly essence. Your godly essence is not limited, but we limit it by shackling it within our physical lens. When we look at it through a physical perspective, when we take the world seriously, when we make our calculations based on things that are not godly, we're making our soul stuck. We don't feel very miraculous like that. But when a Jewish person realizes their essence, that literally our essence is divine, is Hashem limited? No. We're also not limited. How do we reach that space? Through connecting to our essence by the medium of the Torah. Then our godly essence shines and we literally express the divine. In fact, David Ben-Gurion, who is not known to be religious, <laughs> said that a Jew who does not believe in miracles is not realistic, is not a realist. Because <laughs> the Jewish people is a miraculous people. Hashem has literally given us himself in giving us the Torah. He allows us to access this deepest space of oneness with him. You know, over 300 years ago, King Louis XIV asked the French philosopher Blaise Pascal for proof of the supernatural. And he said one line. He said, why the Jews, your majesty, the Jews. So could you imagine for a French non-Jewish philosopher, the best expression of the supernatural is the Jewish people. And in fact, that's what the Navi says. The Navi says, I, God, have not changed, 
and you, the sons of Jacob, have not expired. Hashem is eternal, and we are eternal. We are literally one with Him. He gives us this amazing way to connect with Him. All we have to do is to tap into that and to want it. There's nothing that can stop us except not wanting it. And that's what the altar is going to say here. So let's go back to Abraham. Abraham was literally the Merkava. He was literally the chariot for the divine. That's why God is called God of Abraham. Us too. We're literally the chariot for the divine. Every time we study Torah and every time we do a mitzvah, Hashem is literally our God. Except Abraham had to work for it and we don't. Except that Abraham merited this union by reason of his works and his advancing in holiness from degree to degree until he uplifted himself to this great level of nullity and unification of self with Hashem. As it is written, and Abraham journeyed going on and on to the south. Abraham progressed from level to level until he attained the esoteric level of the south, which alludes to the highest possible degree of love for Hashem. Abraham then achieved this state as a result of his own labors. So Avram was a person who worked. He worked and worked, and everything that he did physically was an expression of his spiritual journey. And this physical journey that Avram took going on and on to the south, was actually a reflection of a spiritual journey that he took. The south represents chesed, kindness. Kedem, which means face, is east. So if you face the east, then your right side is going to be the south. South represents chesed, and Abraham journeyed on and on and on till he reached the very essence of Hashem's chesed. He now became the manifestation of Hashem's chesed in this world, in fact, a very old work of Kabbalah, Sefer Habahir, writes like this. God's own attribute of kindness declared, from the time Abraham has existed on earth, I have nothing to do. Abraham is acting in my stead. He literally was an embodiment of Hashem's chesed. That was Avraham. He worked very hard to reach this level that he was the Merkava. But for us, it's a whole different story. So whatever he was able to reach, he was able to reach as much as a human being can reach. But a human being can only reach what a human being can reach. When it comes to us, we have an incredible gift from Hashem. Aval anachnu Yerusha umatanahilanu. But as for us, the children of Abraham, for us, it is a heritage and a gift. We didn't have to work for it. We got it as an inheritance. And furthermore, it comes as a gift from Hashem. Abraham, he bequeathed to us whatever he got, but he was only able to get what a human being can get. Your work brings you results, and that's commensurate with your work. A gift doesn't reflect the receiver. A gift reflects the giver. Who gave us this gift? Hashem. Now us, we literally can reach a level that even Avraham couldn't reach. And when we say Hashem is Elokeinu, it's beyond the level of saying 
Elok Avraham. The Midrash says something amazing on the Pasuk from Shira Shir. Because of the fragrance of your goodly oils, your name is oil poured forth. The Midrash says, All the commandments that the patriarchs performed before you were like pleasing fragrance, but we are like oil poured. Earlier, the Midrash describes the oil as poured as Adam shemerik mikli a person who pours from one vessel to the other. So let's look at the difference between fragrance and actual oil. Fragrance isn't the thing itself. It's just an emanation of the thing. And fragrance isn't lasting. It just wafts and goes away. When our forefathers did mitzvahs, they did mitzvahs too, but in a very different way. You know, we read in the Parsha about Yaakov using sticks, peeling the sticks. He had aspen and hazel and chestnut, and he put them in the water troughs. Actually, Kabbalah explains that he was doing what we do when we put on tefillin. When a Jewish person puts on tefillin, they are doing exactly the same work as Jacob did. What's tefillin? Tefillin is drawing the intellectual attributes into the emotional attributes. Jacob was taking these sticks, these three sticks of Aspen represented Chachma, Hazel represented Bina, and Chestnut represented Das, and putting them into the water troughs signified bringing them down into the emotional attributes. That's what Yaakov was doing. However, no one's going to say that after Yaakov did that, those sticks became holy. They didn't. They weren't holy sticks. Until the Torah was given, it was impossible to make any permanent change in this world. For the time being, when he was using it, when he was doing his spiritual service, he was manifesting holiness, but it was only like scent. It was only like fragrance. For us, in giving us the Torah, Hashem has literally given us his essence. Now, when we do the same service as Jacob, that animal hide made into tefillin actually becomes holy. They were able to draw down only as far as the world of Atzilas. But for us, we're literally able to draw down the essence of Hashem into this physical world and to cause permanent change. So we're looking at Abraham and Hashem is called God of Abraham because he was the Merkava. We're looking at ourselves and guess what? We're also the Merkava whenever we study Torah and whenever we do a mitzvah. For Abraham, he worked. He reached, progressed from level to level till he was literally a reflection of the divine attribute of kindness. For us, we didn't work. It's literally a heritage and a gift. In that he has given us his Torah and clothed and has clothed in it his will and wisdom which are united with his essence and being in perfect unity. And surely this is as if he gave us his very self, as it were, since his will and wisdom are one with him through Torah study and through the performance of the mitzvahs, we are able to take him, as it were, and be united with him. So when it came to our forefathers, they worked very hard. And what did they do? They were able to affect divine radiation into this world, fragrance. For us, what are we able to do? We literally have now the essence of Hashem. In giving us the Torah, Hashem has given us himself. And we literally are able to draw down from his very essence and make permanent transformation in this world. Kimaisha Kasav Bazayar Hakadesh Al Pasuk Vijuli Tiruma, Dili Kilaimar Aisi. 
This is, as the Zayar comments on the verse, that they bring to me an offering. The word to me, says the Zayar, actually means to take me, to take God. So there's a verse, and it's a mitzvah of bringing to Ruma, and it says, V'yichuli to Ruma, and they should take for me to Ruma, or take to me to Ruma, which wouldn't be normally the proper way of saying, give me a gift. You should say like, tichnuli, or something like that. What does it mean, v'yichuli? The Zohar explains, and there's actually similar readings in the Midrash, that it means, v'yichuli, take me. The Zohar interprets, the, so what is the word teruma then? The Zohar interprets the word teruma, offering, as referring to the Torah, inasmuch as it is a composite of the word Torah and the letter mem. So look at the word teruma. It's Torah and the letter mem. Alluding, alluding to the Torah that was given after Moshe's 40-day sojourn on the mountain. The numerical value of Mem is 40. The Zohar goes on to explain that through Terumah, through the Torah, Jews are enabled to take me, to take Hashem. So Hashem is saying, V'yichuli Terumah, take me. How are you going to take me? Through the Torah. The text should have read, take me and an offering. If we're talking about take me, then it should have said, V'yechuli uteruma. But then, if we would do it that way, we would think of it as being two different things. Since me refers to Hashem, and an offering refers to Torah, it would seem more appropriate for the verse to state, you shall take me and an offering, Torah, since it is by means of the Torah that the Jew takes me. Ela mishum Except that both are one and the same. Hashem and the Torah are truly one. Were the verse to say me and an offering, you might be led to believe that the two are separate entities when in truth they are truly one and the same. So when Hashem says, truma, He's saying, take me. How are you going to take me? Take the Torah. I gave you myself when I gave you the Torah. And the reason why it doesn't say take me and teruma is because then we would think it's two separate things. It's not two separate things. It's one thing. Taking the Torah means... Taking Hashem. Ayin Shem Hetef. Study it well there and the matter will be clearly understood. So we can understand that why the Pasuk says it that way. Because we learned that Hashem inserted himself in the Torah. And by taking the Torah, we literally are taking Hashem. This is the meaning of what we recite. And you have given to us, O Lord, our God with love. So this is from the Shimona Esrei of the festivals, we're saying, you God have given us festivals for rejoicing. But if you look at it carefully, we're actually saying Hashem has given us the gift. What kind of gift has he given us? He has given us the gift that he is Hashem Elokeinu. Because of his great love for us, he has granted us the gift that he be our God so that we may be united with him. It is also stated, For by the light of your countenance, have you given us, O Lord your God, once again, stressing the gift that he has given us, meaning that he is our God. So we're looking at these words of tefillah and we're realizing they mean more than just with a superficial glance. You're saying, What is the gift that you have given us? You have given us the gift that you are Hashem, our God. You are Hashem, our God, means that you have given us the Torah, and you have given us this ability to totally fuse and become one with you. When we fuse and we become one with Hashem, we escape the shackles of the world. We transcend everything. None of it exists. We go to a space where there's only Hashem. At that space, 
Hashem is Elokeinu. We are literally the Merkava. We are literally the chariot. Hashem has given us this gift that He could be our God just as He is the God of Abraham. And this is what we are thanking Hashem for. Therefore, since this unity with him and the gift we have received that he is our God is not dependent on our spiritual service, it is within the province of every Jew. It's a gift. A Jewish person has this gift. We didn't have to work for it. You might say, okay, for some people, they work very hard. I understand that Hashem is called their God. But what if somebody who didn't work very hard? It doesn't really matter. It's our inheritance and a gift. It could be somebody on a very low spiritual level. It really doesn't matter. They have this capability of totally fusing and becoming one with Hashem to the point that Hashem is called by their name. Were this level achieved only through one spiritual service, it would be correct to say that not everyone has yet reached this lofty level of unity whereby Hashem becomes his God. Since, however, we are granted this level as an inheritance and a gift, it applies to all Jews equally. For a bequest and a gift have nothing to do with the status of the recipient. Should a person be a rightful heir, he inherits no matter what his standing. Should a benefactor decide to shower his benevolence upon an individual, that individual is a valid recipient no matter how undeserving he may be. Not so with wages, which are commensurate with one's toil. At any rate, since this unity is equally attainable by all Jews, therefore, Nothing stands in the way of the soul's unity with Hashem and his light except for one's will. For should the person not desire at all, God forbid, to cleave to him, then this unity will not be achieved. So anytime we study Torah and anytime we do a mitzvah, we literally fuse with Hashem. There's only one thing that can get in the way. Let's remember the words of the Navi Yeshaya. It's only your sins that interpose between you and Hashem. There's no bar- barrier from Hashem's side. It's from our side. God wants to give us a gift. The only thing that could stop us from receiving that gift is if, God forbid, a person doesn't want it. You know, a king could want to give tremendous estates and wealth to somebody. He says, I don't want it. Then what are you going to do? If he doesn't accept it, he doesn't have the gift. So here, Hashem is gifting us with this gift that he is literally our God. We're thanking him for giving us this gift that he is our God. Nothing can stop this unity of the soul except for the lack of desire. There's a story of the Gera Rebbe, the Chidushi Harim. And he once walks walked in where his students were, and he said, tell me, where is Hashem? And you can think, I mean, what a question, right? Hashem is everywhere. And that's what they answered. Hashem is everywhere. And they said, he said, that's not exactly accurate. Hashem is wherever you let him in. So yes, Hashem is everywhere. But where is he manifest? Only where we allow him to be manifest. So what stops the fusion? One thing, our lack of desire for it, God forbid. But this is easily remedied. But immediately, when he does so desire and accepts and draws upon himself his blessed godliness and declares, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, then surely is his soul spontaneously absorbed into God's unity. So we're saying this mitzvah of Kriya Shema is an exodus. Every single day, it's literally us being released from the shackles of the body. What are we doing? We're accepting Hashem's unity upon ourselves. We're accepting that He is our God. The only thing that could stop this fusion is us not wanting it. But as soon as we want it, the fusion is happening. Well, I want it. 
Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. As soon as we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, we are expressing that we want to be absorbed within His unity. We want Him to be our God. Spontaneously, we are fused with Him. The Ruach, I see Ruach, the Ruach. For the individual's yearning, spirit evokes spirit and awakening from above and draws forth and bestows spirit, an added measure of spirituality, so that the person is drawn to Hashem and cleaves to Him. So this is an expression from the Zohar. Ruach, I see Ruach, the Ruach. Spirit evokes spirit and draws forth spirit. And these are two things that are happening to us. When we want this fusion, when we accept Hashem's unity upon us, and we study Torah, and we do a mitzvah, then first of all, it evokes spirit. That means it causes godliness to rest upon us. And second of all, it draws forth spirit, means it literally is pulled into us, and it becomes who we are. We literally become the Merkava at that time. Vihi bechinas yitzias mitzrayim. And this dynamic within a person's soul is a form of the exodus from Egypt. The spiritual counterpart of the exodus is the acceptance of the kingdom of heaven during the recitation of Shema and one's desire to cleave to Hashem and be united for him. For by these means, the soul frees itself from the exile and the confines of the body and becomes one with Hashem. So we're trying to reciprocate Hashem's love for us. And we thought about the exodus from Egypt and we say, okay, Hashem did a very great thing that that was so long ago. No, that's not so long ago. This happens every single day. Every single day we are in exile. Every single day we are in the confines of the serpent's skin. We're so limited. We're shackled by the perspective of the physical world. But we experience an exile every single day. How? Our soul leaves the constraints of the world and becomes fused with Hashem when we study Torah and when we do a mitzvah. And the best Mitzvah that expresses this is the recitation of Shema. When we say Shema, we say Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hashem is our God. Hashem is one. And we are literally accepting that fusion because the only thing that can stop the fusion is us not wanting it. The second we say Shema and express our desire to be absorbed within His unity, we are spontaneously absorbed within him. And that is Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt. Literally every single day Hashem comes to us from the highest, highest space down to where we are in the lowest, lowest space. And he comes to take us out. He himself. He gives us himself in giving us the Torah. And we transcend all the limits of the body. And we become literally fused with him in oneness and we express this through Shema and when we realize that Hashem releases us from exile every single day every single day we leave Egypt that reflects Hashem's love for us individually in modern times this isn't some ancient story that happened this is something that happens to us every single day Therefore, it was ordained that the paragraph concerning the exodus from Egypt be read specifically during the recital of the Shema as an adjunct to it. Even though it, recalling and verbalizing the exodus, is a commandment by itself, not pertaining to the commandment to recite Shema, as stated in the Talmud and the Codes. So, we read Shema, we read Shema, we read Shahayat and Shema, and then there's a third paragraph, Vayemer. The first two paragraphs say, Vidibartabam, you should speak about it when you get up in the morning and at night. This is the Mesva of Kriya Shema. And there's a third passage added to it. The Parsha of Tzisis, it talks about Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. They're two separate Mitzvahs. Remember Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, 
Read the Shema every day. Why are they put together? And that together is considered one mitzvah. The Rambam in codifying the mitzvah of Shema says, Reading these three sections in this order constitutes the recitation of the Shema. It's all put together. Why? This is the reading of Shema. This is the Exodus from Egypt. Why are they put together as one thing to be said together? Recalling the Exodus and the formal recitation of the Shema were placed together. Ella mepnei shehein davar echad mamish, for they are actually the same thing. Accepting the kingdom of heaven during the Shema and the exodus from Egypt are truly one and the same, since this acceptance is one's personal spiritual liberation. It's our personal exodus, whereby the divine soul escapes the encumbrances of the body. Likewise, the paragraph referring to the exodus from Egypt also concludes, I am the Lord your God. This also accords with what we has been explained earlier, that through the exodus, one ensures that God becomes his God by achieving total unification with him. From the above, we realize that the exodus from Egypt is a daily event in the life of a Jew. Hence, just as during the first historical exodus, as explained earlier, Hashem showed us his boundless love, obligating us to respond in kind, loving him as water mirrors face to the face, so too should the daily individual spiritual exodus affect us, since Hashem constantly shows us his boundless love. I think this is a big historic milestone for us because we never did a chapter in one class. <laughs> it does happen to be, I think, the shortest chapter in the Tanya. So let's summarize chapter 47. Here we're trying to induce our love for Hashem. We're calling to allowing our heart to feel the love for him as water reflects face to face. Last chapter, we talked about the exodus of Egypt, from Egypt, that Hashem came from the high, Hashem is the highest of the high. He came to the lowest of the low, took us out himself and showed us tremendous love. And that should make us want to love him back. Well, that's true, but that happened a very long time ago. How is that going to make me love him in a crazy way of love? Not like this is something that happened years ago, but something that I'm grateful for today, now, in modern times. And the answer is because this isn't something that happened just once a long time ago. This is something that happens every single day. Every single day, our soul experiences the exodus from Egypt, which is the klipa of the body. It literally becomes absorbed within the oneness of Hashem when we study Torah and when we do a mitzvah. And that is true anytime we study Torah and anytime we do a mitzvah, but especially when we say the words of Shema, because when we say the words of Shema, we are literally accepting Hashem's oneness upon ourselves. We are accepting this fusion upon ourselves. The only thing that could stand in the way of us accepting the fusion is us not wanting it. But as soon as we say Shema, we are allowing this fusion to happen. Hashem is literally our God, the way he is, the God of Abraham. The only thing is, Abraham worked for that. For us, it's an inheritance and a gift. It doesn't matter which level thou are at. Literally, the second we accept it upon ourselves, the second we want it, that's our exodus. As soon as we want Hashem's unity, as soon, as soon as we want to be absorbed within him, we experience exodus. We leave this world of fragmentation and disunity and separation and confusion, and we literally merge with Hashem's oneness. And that is encapsulated in Shema. That's why when we say Shema, we also speak about the exodus from Egypt, because truly, these are all the same thing. The spiritual orientation of Shema is liberation. The spiritual orientation of Shema is leaving the confines and the shackles of the physical body and becoming one with Hashem. And that is 
the Exodus. That is the Exodus from Egypt. And now when we really think about that, we realize that Hashem, in His essence, His very self comes to me every single day and liberates me from the confines of the physical body and allows me to transcend everything of this world and become totally one with Him. And it isn't something that I worked for. I literally got it as a gift and inheritance from Him. And when we think about that, we can't help but love Hashem.